Welcome to Bill and Tony's Excellent Adventure in Music. Here are your hosts, Bill Fraser and Tony Sartu. Welcome to Bill and Tony's Excellent Adventure in Music. I'm Bill. And I'm Tony. And we are going to explore our love for music by sharing some facts and our thoughts on some of the best albums of all time. And today's album is Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. Born in the USA was released June 4th, 1984 by Columbia Records. The album was number 142 on the 2020 Rolling Stone Top 500 list, falling from number 86 in 2012 and number 85 in 2003. It has certified global sales of more than 22 million copies and claimed sales of 30 million units, making it one of the top 25 selling albums of all time. Although it was released in the summer of 1984, it was the top selling album of 1985. So, Tone, let's talk a little bit about what was going on in 1984. I'm not going to go too deep because we already covered 84 when we talked about Purple Rain from Prince, but let's just set the context for our discussion today. 1984, we had the presidential race between Ronald Reagan and Walter Mondale. Geraldine Ferraro was the first female vice presidential candidate. You know, the, the song We Didn't Start the Fire from Billy Joel came out in 1989. But in 1989, he talks about foreign debts, homeless vets, AIDS, crack, Bernie gets in the song. And that's exactly what was going on in 1984. You've also got Michael Jackson's hair catching on fire in that Pepsi commercial. Marvin Gaye was tragically shot and killed. The bell system breaks up. Russia boycotts the LA Olympics. On TV, the Cosby Show and Jeopardy debut. And in the movies, you've got 16 Candles, Beverly Hills Cop, Footloose, Ghostbusters, Gremlins, The Karate Kid, and Police Academy. So great year. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that you just mentioned that Billy Joel, We Didn't Start the Absolutely. Fire to Absolutely. Troll I, I, I know you, you know hate that song, but I had to song. use it because it's like a perfect tie into 1984. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the year in music. Unlike the last few years that we've covered, few albums where there's been multiple, like 20 plus different number one albums, 1984 only had five albums that hit number one. Thriller was the number one album for the first 15 weeks of the year. The Footloose soundtrack covered the next 10. Sports by Huey Lewis. Shout out to our boy, John Schwartz, who's been begging for us to do sports. It was number one for one week, and then Born in the USA came out and was number one for four weeks, and Purple Rain took home the last 22 weeks at number one, as well as the first two weeks of 1985, before Bruce returned to the top for the next four weeks in 1985. Some of the top singles for the year were When Doves Cry was the number one, number two was What's Love Got to Do With It by Tina Turner. Say, Say, Say by Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson was number three. The Footloose uh, lead song by Kenny Loggins was number four. And I'll just mention a couple of others. Jump by Van Halen was number six. Hello by Lionel Richie was number seven. And Dancing in the Dark by well, Bruce well, Tone, Springsteen was number 14. I think what you just 14. called out is exactly why Rolling Stone dub, has dubbed 1984 as Pop's Greatest Year. You've got all of those songs and songs like Owner of a Lonely Heart, Karma Chameleon, Time After Time, and Like a Virgin, right? So there's a lot of crazy pop songs in 1984. All right. So uh, how about, Bill, why don't you tell us about your personal history with Bruce? We talked about Bruce in our Born to Run podcast, so I'm going to just keep it really short. We were 13 years old in, in 1984, so just teenagers. You know, I was walking to school at Pinebrook right behind my house, and Bruce was on the radio and he was, he was big in my life at that time. 
Yeah, and I mentioned in the Born to Run pod that, you know, I moved to New Jersey from Oklahoma right, you know, in the time when this came out. As a matter of fact, our vinyl copy of Born in the USA was bought when we were still in Oklahoma and uh, not knowing that we are going into the heart of Bruce country. And then, you know, lo and behold, I showed up at Pinebrook later that year and I joined you for the rest of our Bruce journey. Absolutely. All right. So now this is the Something You Might Not Know segment of the show. And we're excited to present a twist on this segment. Bill and I didn't feel like doing our homework. So instead, we invited a Bruce Springsteen expert to talk to us about Bruce and Born in the USA. We're going to be joined today by Jesse Jackson, and Jesse hosts a Bruce fan podcast where he has people come on and talk Bruce. Everyone has their own Bruce journey, and he chats with people worldwide about theirs. He has some public figures come on, including Mike Compel, Bruce's first manager, and Brian Koppelman. Uh, He's the creator and showrunner for Billions, if you've seen that on HBO. But mostly, he talks to regular folks like uh, Bill and me about our Bruce experience. Well, and Tony, we got connected to Jesse by uh, a, a friend, Corey Nathan, who hosts a wonderful podcast, Talking Politics and Religion. And Corey has really been, you know, somebody who's who's tried to help us on our podcast journey. And he uh, he shouted out Jesse on Twitter and said, "Hey, Jesse, you need to you need to check out Bill and Tony's podcast." And Jesse reached out to us right away, and we were you know lucky enough to be guests on on Jesse's podcast, and it was a tremendous amount of fun to talk to Jesse on his on his show. Absolutely. So uh, speaking of Pinebrook, and you know another Pinebrook alum, Corey Nathan Nathan. So please check out Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. Bill, that's the most important part of the title. So, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Without, without Killing Each Other. It's, and Corey does a phenomenal job of keeping people from killing each other by talking politics and religion. Absolutely. And he has just really like A-list guests. It's an amazing achievement what he's done with that pod. And I encourage everyone to check it out. All right. So now let's get to our very first guest interview. We had a blast appearing on his show and he, and we had just as much fun having him as our guest. So please enjoy our conversation with Jesse Jackson from Set Lusting, Bruce Springsteen. And we're joined today by Jesse Jackson from Set Lusting, Bruce, a Bruce Springsteen fan podcast. We're totally excited to have Jesse here with us. Well, thank you. I am thrilled to be here. I agree. We had a blast having you guys on the podcast. Um, I am not, I am a fan. I like listening to you guys. And so this is exciting. I've got my little draft board ready <laughs> and, uh, you know, let the games begin. So, so I think we should start, Tony, and say that for the first time ever on our podcast, you and I are going to draft together against Jesse. Oh, we're teaming up and it's going to be epic. <laughs> Uh, it's two to one, but that's okay. I guess I should be. Am I a ringer? Since I, you, I have done got all the Bruce, you got Bruce all over us. There's, there's very little chance of us beating you, but we're gonna have fun trying. So yeah, it's a good. So before we get to that uh, song draft, which I'm also super excited about, Jesse, do you want to tell us about Set Lusting Bruce? You know, maybe just the basics: how you got started, how long you've been doing it, how it's evolved over time. Sure. Way back in 2015, there was a, on our network at the time, Southgate Media Group, there was a guy who did an 80s themed podcast and he was tired and he wanted to take a break, but he didn't want to not put out content. So he asked people to do guest spots. So I got a bunch of friends and we talked about 
um, Stephen King books of the 80s. Then we did Stephen King movies of the 80s. And then I picked two or three other friends and we did, we discussed Bruce Springsteen's albums of the 80s. So we covered uh, all of them and I had a lot of fun. And then at the same time, Springsteen and I, that fan made film that where everyone kind of talked about Springsteen meant came out. And I really liked that. And then the last thing was Adam Carella's wife at the time, Lynette, did a small Springsteen podcast where she did about five or six episodes where she talked to friends, celebrities that she knew. And they didn't talk about like the creator of Who Loves Raymond. You know, he didn't talk about Raymond. He talked about Bruce. So I went to the guy who owned our network and I said, I want to do a Bruce Springsteen podcast. And he says, okay, what is that? I said, well, I'm going to talk to fans of Bruce's music and I'm going to get them to tell stories. And so he said, sure. He says, if you're passionate about it, go for it. He loves telling the story. He hangs up and he looks at his wife, Martha, and says, Jesse's going to do a Springsteen podcast. I think we'll get a season out of it. And to him, a season is 12 episodes, whether you do them once a week, every two weeks. So as of this recording, I'm at 925 episodes. <laughs> I have uh, been recording consistently, uh, usually one to two episodes a week since 2015. Uh, as we're recording this, it's November 2022, and I'm doing 30 episodes in 30 days. Knock on wood. Is that because so, of the podcast month? Yes, because of podcast month. Yeah. Yes. So that's how it started. And over the years, I've expanded my basket to, I will talk to almost anyone about music. So if you are a podcaster, and let's say you do a business podcast, I will have you on the podcast to talk about your musical fandom. And so that way they can promote their podcast and you do. Bulk of my episodes are Springsteen fans sharing their stories, but I've had people that love Guns N' Roses, that love Daryl Hall and John Oates, that do um, all kinds of different uh, artists to share their stories. And I'll tell you, um, just from our personal experience, you know, our time on your show, of course, we talked about Bruce, but we also talked about Dylan, John Hyatt, the Beach Boys. So really, it was just such a fun conversation about music. I believe that, you know, music unites us, especially in these hard times. We are discussing a little bit before we hit record. Um, you know, this is election week and there's a lot of since COVID and everything going on, there's a lot of pain out there. And I think that good music helps us to celebrate the good in our lives and help to get through the bad in our lives. Well said. I'm curious in all of the people of you talked that you've talked to and doing the, the you know 900 plus podcast do you catch a theme with the people of how they feel about you know artists i have common themes among my audience my guest number one there is a good chance if you grew up in the northeast you discovered bruce springsteen going to summer camp that's interesting there <laughs> that is a story i hear over and over again either there was a counselor that had bruce springsteen or there was a someone who was one of your campmates had a bruce springsteen album and that you discovered bruce that is a through siblings siblings is a very big thing that either your older sibling got you into music or your older sibling you rebelled against their music 
and you found your own. If you're the uh, if you're the older, you feel this sense of responsibility to teach your younger siblings music. So uh, those are two things, and it is almost mandatory if you are from the Northeast and you are a sports writer. You are probably a Springsteen fan, and I welcome you to join my show. <laughs> so um, you you mentioned how you know you got started, but I don't think you quite mentioned why you picked Bruce. Like, is Bruce at the time when you started the pod, you know, uh, in 2016 or whatever, was he already like one of your all time favorites? Were you super passionate about it? Or was it just kind of at the moment you happened to be into Bruce? So. The first time I remember Bruce Springsteen is 1980, and um, the lady I was dating, who is currently uh, my wife, was had a best friend named Lisa Mesh, and Lisa Mesh went to school in the Northeast, and she came back and said, oh, there's this guy named Bruce Springsteen that's amazing, and I did not remember anything about him. After the fact, I realized that I was in high school, I was at a barber shop, and I saw either Time or Newsweek where they said the next great, you know, rock star. Mm -hmm. And I was like, who's this guy? Have they never heard of Elton John? Like, you know, they've never heard what Barry Manilow. I mean, you know, what, who are these people? So anyway, I ended up buying the river and I liked it like everyone else in 1984, the album we're going to talk about, I bought Born in the USA and uh, loved it. I remember loving Tunnel of Love, bought the box set, and then just kind of drifted. You know, Lynn and I are trying to, we moved to Dallas in 86. Uh, we're trying to get our family started. Money's tight. You've got all those struggles. And I was a casual fan. And then in 2001, the rising, but 9-11 happened. And after the towers fell, they did a benefit. They did like a fundraiser on TV and it opened with Bruce singing My City of Ruin. And I remember he goes, a prayer for our fallen brothers and sisters. And they went into that and I was just, oh, I can't believe this. What is this? And then I bought The Rising and then 2002, I went to my first Bruce show. Never had a chance to see him perform live. And I think there are two kinds of people. The people that go to a Bruce show and go, wow, that was long. And mm -hmm. the other people that go, oh my goodness, when can I go do this again? So 2002, it switched from me being a casual fan to a passionate fan. And then in 2005, he came back at a small show during the Devils and Dust tour. It was just him, guitars, and electronic piano. And I had studied Devils and Dust because at the Rising, I didn't know every song because I was a casual fan. Devils and Dust, I knew that album forwards and backwards, and that was that was it. I was sold. And so slowly, slowly became obsessed. And then you learn, wait a minute, you mean I can drive to another city to see Bruce perform? I don't have to wait for him to come to Dallas. And now then with the podcast, Linda will tell you it's all Springsteen all the time in our house. In fact, I will say, hey, Linda, do you want to know something? Is it about Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> That's a little bit how it's like in my house, you know, in the week or so when we're prepping to do an album, it's my daughter will say, oh, what is this about the killers you're going to tell me now? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. 
<laughs> so you mentioned how um, you know you were a casual fan, you know, until '02, and then you know, super passionate. But you started the pod in you know '16. So has anything changed for you, you know, in the last six years? I think I have a greater appreciation of just how passionate Bruce's fan base is. And I'm sure there are people, um, Taylor Swift's fans, Lady Gaga, Grateful Dead fans, Bowie fans, you know, Beatle fans, however you want. But there is a something about Springsteen fans that has, I am touched by their, their passion. There is the people that, you know, he hasn't done anything since Darkness. Darkness was his last great album. Well, you know, do you know how many albums he's done since then? <laughs> you know, uh, but overall, I think that's what surprised me the most is how passionate and how giving the fans are. And I continue to hear new stories of people that have had experiences and that have shared parts of their lives. And Bruce's, Bruce's music has made a difference to them. That's great. Um, Bill, do you have any questions? So, Jesse, do you remember the first time you listened to the album and you know, kind, kind of what your thoughts were back in 1984 when you first heard the album? I can. So... Um, I was born in uh, I, I was born in 1959, and 84 was the year Linda and I got married. Um, so I remember, you know, that CD was everywhere. Um, and and just rem- to interject, it was the first commercially pressed CD in the U.S. Oh, I did not know that. Okay, um, I know that. After the fact, and there is, you know, behind the scenes story, and if you read Dave Marsh's biography, that The River was their first hit. Little Steven talks about that, that they had put out all these albums, but The River was their first hit. They had not had a hit since then. And then he followed up with Nebraska, and um, and that was not quite what the record company was wanting. So when he brought them Born in the USA... They were, okay, this is more like it. Um, So yes, I remember hearing the songs. And in 1984, MTV. And I remember seeing the videos, right? There is so, the the really bad Dancing in the Dark. But at the time, it was cool just to see it. At that time, we did not know that Courtney Cox was later going to be a friend. My hometown, uh, I'm on fire, just glory days, just so many songs and so many great videos that it it felt like a greatest hit CD, similar to like um, Off the Wall or a Thriller, you know, where you go, gosh, there's so many hits off this. Um, is this a greatest hit CD? No, it's just a CD. Do, do you remember what other albums were like on your radar? on that in that year out of curiosity I'm, I'm just i'm curious what like comes to mind when you're when you're thinking about that that time frame so prince obviously and that is what kept him from getting a number one hit absolutely Dan- <laughs> we, yeah. and we talked uh, about that on our, our purple rain pod absolutely yeah. yes <laughs> yeah i mean it kept him uh absolutely you have the research in front of you tell me and then i'll go yes of course so van halen 1984 madonna like a virgin wham yes. make it big uh, Tina Turner, Private Dancer, 
uh, Shaka Khan, I, I feel for you. Billy Ocean, suddenly. Uh, so yes. it's, it's some interesting albums in 1984. I remember being, and this is so sad, I was a little bitter with Tina Turner because John Fogarty put out Centerfield that same time, right? Yep. That whatever that, yeah. And everyone went to the press of Tina Turner, comeback of all times. And I going, but wait a minute, this guy was Cletus Clearwater Revival and he's back saying, why isn't he getting any press? Um, which is silly because, you know, Tina Turner deserves all that praise. But I remember, you know, it. I guess I'm like 24, or 25, like, hey, what about Fogarty? <laughs> all right. I think we were going to talk about the tracks and the song draft, right, Tone? Anything well, else we no, wanted before to talk we about? Did before that, yeah, we did I, that? I wanted to... I wanted to ask Jesse about the Mary question that he asks. You know, oh, I just so basically. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. yeah, so Jesse, folks, Jesse ends every uh, podcast or every interview with what he calls the Mary question. So, Jesse, do you want to tell us about what the Mary question is? I absolutely would love that. Um, this started out, uh, a guy named Jerry Armstrong, who is recently retired, has a new book out. He has a chronic disease. It's caused him to quit uh, teaching, and so he's written a book, Bedtime Stories for the Living, that's an amazing memoir of his life. But when he was teaching, uh, he taught honors English in the Philadelphia area, and he would take two days, and they would take Thunder Road and break it apart as if it was a poem. And they would discover the lyrics. They would talk about the lyrics. They would talk about the themes. They would talk about the imagery Bruce is using. And then at the end of the two days, he would ask the question, does Mary get in the car? So Jay was on my podcast and he told me about that. And I said, gosh, that, that sounds interesting. And he didn't tell me the Mary question. He just told me that, hey, sometimes when I'm teaching, I do this. So I had him come back and he did a little miniature story little bitty on the hour podcast he basically did a breakdown of what he would done in class and he asked me the question does mary get in the car and i well of course she does i mean that, that's not even a question i mean the lyrics are we're pulling out of here to win and he goes technically on the lyric sheet it's i'm pulling out of here to win what that no 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 and so i was amazed by that and i i was looking for a way to get my audience engaged and looking for a way to give a button. And my buddy Bob said, this is your version of the actor's studio. Like he ends every you know episode with what's your favorite curse word and all this stuff. And so it's ended up being a nice button on. And so I give them the explanation that I just gave you. And then I, I tell my, I tell my guests in advance, whether you're a Bruce fan or not, listen to Thunder Road, read the lyrics and be ready to give your answer. And uh, 99% of them do. Every once in a while, I get someone that goes, oh, I didn't do the homework. And I'm like, okay, I'll cut this out then. And, but one of them called me back like two weeks later and said, okay, can you record me again? I now have an answer. So um, so uh, that's the Mary question. And I asked you guys the question. So Jesse, I'm curious, is there like a strong pull one way or the other in, in respondents? 60% of the people say yes. She gets in the car. Uh, about 40% say no. Um, I have never gone the time of looking, you know, dividing it up by female, male, age 
graphics, though a couple of years ago, and if you search this, you can find it in my archives. I took like 50 answers and I cut and spliced them together. And for someone who knows about editing podcasts, you know, that was a pain because you had to listen to the podcast, get it like, okay, yeah, cut it. So I put them all together and I sent them to Jay. I said, here are about 40 or 50 answers. Would you want to come on the podcast and talk about the answers? And he did. And so we did a two-part episode where I played all the answers to everyone could hear. And then he talked about it. And he talked about some differences. Um, Some females go, it's Bruce. Of course I say yes. But it isn't Bruce asking the question. It's a different, it's the character in there. I get a fair amount of people that go, no, she, he called her ugly. He said, you ain't a beauty, but hey, you're right. F that guy. I'm mm-hmm. not getting in the car with him. Um, some people say that, no, Mary's scared. She's too scared to go. Or no, he's not worthy of her. So it always makes for a fun discussion. The only thing that's unhappy, uh, Tony and Bill, is when someone just says, yes, she gets in the car. Hoping for a little more there. (laughs) But okay, we'll move on. (laughs) So uh, I don't remember now because it's been, you know, several months, but... Folks, um, I suggest listeners, we're going to put a link uh, in for our episode with Jesse on his pod. And we encourage you to not only listen to ours, but listen to ours and and hear our answers to the Mary question. And of course, I'm going to go back and look for that uh, in the archive and look for that uh, show or those shows with Jay as you dissect those answers. That sounds awesome. I was surprised. Brian Koppelman, the guy who wrote Billions, um, he talked about in his podcast, ask me anything. So I sent that email and in his podcast, he said, I don't want to know the answer. He said, the beauty of Thunder Road is it doesn't tell us the answer. And I don't think we need to know the answer. And if we did know the answer, it would make the song less powerful. So then he was nice enough to join me on the podcast. An amazing discussion. He he is a great guy, passionate about music. And then he gave a different answer. And he said, did I give the same answer? I go, no. <laughs> he goes, okay, that, that tells you it's a great question. <laughs> and I, I listened to the compliments show and he told a great story, but now I'm not remembering if it was about Bruce or somebody else where yeah. he had met them when he was young and had said or done something stupid and then met him as a you know successful you know uh, show business professional and just yeah. didn't acknowledge that. Was that Bruce that I can't remember if that was or not. I did have, and before we get to the song story, I did have one I wanted to share. We had told this story before we hit record. So um, as we're recording this, I just recently released an episode with the writer David Leaf, and he is one of my literary heroes. He has written the best biography of Brian Wilson, who is my other musical obsession, and he's also a huge Springsteen fan, and he told the story that when he was in college, um, he was the manager of the college radio station, and they got Bruce's first album from Columbia Records. And he said, you know, and there's a big note, the new Dylan. And so David said he put it on the turntable, listened to a minute of it, took it off and said, yep, he is the new Dylan. He can't sing either and (laughs) took the album. (laughs) So I love that. Um, So I didn't tell you this before. and This just happened before we hit record. Um, I sent him a link and I said, hey, David, your first part is out. We We did an hour of just talking Bruce. 
And then we're going to do an hour of him talking Brian Wilson and his book. And so here's the first link. And he sent me back an email, said, I cannot believe. He said, I forgot to tell you the story. He said, during college, not only was I working for the radio station, but I was working for the school paper. And I remember (laughs) we got an ad for a Springsteen show that that was going to be there. And he says, and I think it was the show the first time David Sanborn was playing with them. Oh, wow. And I misspelled his name in the ad. (laughs) (laughs) He said, and I did not go the four blocks away to see the show. He said, I still kick myself that... I could have gone to see Bruce at this really small venue, but no, I was too busy misspelling his name. He probably could have interviewed him too, you know? I mean, exactly. Oh, yes. goodness. Jeez, yes. what a missed opportunity. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So I think that uh, wraps up our chat. Now we get to get to the uh, meat of what we do. So before we do Song Draft and talk about the tracks, it's an iconic album cover. Jesse, I'm curious on your take on the album cover. You know, it was photoed by Annie Leibovitz. I know at the time there was a lot of, you know, feeling about what Bruce was doing on the album cover. Uh, um, you know, what, what, what's your thoughts on the cover itself? So what he has said was that um, my blank looked better than my face. So that's why we <laughs> use that photo. <laughs> Uh, yes, there was a lot of thought that because of the lyrics of Born in the USA, that he was, um, relieving himself on the American flag. And, um, and we will get to this when we get to Born in the USA, the title track, um, Born in the USA is a very patriotic song. It is just not patriotic the way that many people who don't listen to the lyrics think it is. Um, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, American Land and Land of Hope and Dreams are the songs that are more patriotic and more talking about the the American dream than Born in the USA. So, yeah, I think it is an iconic and I often there is there is speculation among Bruce fans that originally born in the usa was going to be a blues version and it is the version he did on broadway um he has it in track. he originally recorded acoustically yes I, I believe. and with that yes and you wonder if the album would have been as big without that iconic stadium you know anthem and would he be would his career be like neil young's where gifted musician, everyone loves him that knows, but not a, a icon. And I'm not belittling Neil Young's sure. career at all. I mean, Neil Young is amazing, but the common folk may not have knows much of him. But Bruce, having that Born in the USA, Glory Days, Dancing in the Dark, put him into another, um, you know, stratosphere stratosphere and uh and in a lot of ways he's never gone back there well i'm glad you asked that question uh bill because i've never actually studied it and i'm looking at it right now i said oh gosh jesse's i could see where people would say that to jesse it never occurred to me that someone would interpret that image that way in a rolling stone interview in 84 he actually had to clarify that and and landau made made a point to tell bruce i mean i, I read a few things and landau's like no bruce yeah. you need you need to be clear <laughs> yeah. that's not what's going on so 
you're you're right, Tony. If you look at it that way, and if you're, you know, just my, you know, as my parents used to tell me, it's knights in Satan's service you're listening to. No, it's it's yes, mom. So if you want to believe it, you want to believe it, right? And so if you want to believe that, they, I could see how someone would think that's what he's doing. All right. So the the other thing about the album itself is I know Jesse that he recorded a lot of tracks uh, when when he actually did this album originally, and I think it was something like seventy tracks or something something along those lines. Do you, do you know anything about how he pared it down? I'm 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 curious. So I know that uh, one of the stories is that little Steven did not want him to do, I think, Dancing in the Dark. He didn't want him to include that. He was pushing for Cover Me. They ended up getting both. Uh, you know, the as we get to tracks, we'll tell what stories I know. I know that he put out a four-CD box set called Tracks that had a lot of outtakes. That And he doesn't do it now. He talks about that in interviews that at the time I wrote 40 or 50 songs for the album. And now that I'm too old for that, right? Like though, though the rumor is, um, and he flat said that on his new album that's coming out uh, in November, that he recorded a whole set of songs, threw them away, recorded another set. And there are probably 30 or 40 soul cover songs that he did and then he picked the 15 he wanted and it does say volume one so there is speculation that he may do um doing a volume two or volume three because he had so much fun doing it all right so why don't we jump into song draft and talking about the tracks okay i, I think that's that's uh we're what we're all waiting for so okay. jesse since you're our guest we're, we're going to let you pick first but just a reminder for all of our fans out there what our song draft is and in, and in this case you know we're going to do it a little differently because uh, we're going to Tony and I are going to be teaming up together versus fighting against each other as we normally do. But a song draft in our in our world is we take all of the tracks in the album, we alternate picks, and we create a team of songs, a little roster of songs. Jesse will have his team of songs. Tony and I will have our own roster of songs. And at the end, we're going to put a link to our song draft poll, and we're going to hope Tony and I are are going to try to figure out a way to. to to beat Jesse, who is very clearly a lot more knowledgeable about Bruce than either Tony or I. So we're, we're going to do our best here, but we're, I think we're, uh, we're, we're punching above our weight class here, Tone. For sure. Not necessarily because um, now I am on the record and my audience disdains. I am not a fan of Jungle Land. It is a song that I do love not. That song. I know. <laughs> that's what everyone goes like, Jesse. And, you know, Jungle Land is fruitcake, you know, or coleslaw. They're like, oh, if you don't like fruitcake, that's because you haven't had good fruitcake. Like, you should listen to Eat My Fruitcake, then you'll love fruitcake. And so people are like, well, Jesse, you just haven't taken time. Like, go put headphones on, you know, light some candles, turn out the lights, close your eyes, and listen to Jungle Land. It'll speak to you. And I'm like, it's an iconic intro. I, You know, Clarence's solo is epic but the song just doesn't speak to me and to me music is a very personal thing and when it speaks to me it counts and when it doesn't i can intellectually 
understand mm-hmm. that, oh yeah, that's that's a great song, but it isn't a great song to me. So I may think all sucks and you guys- So, so, so you know what, that that's interesting because when Tony and I do this, we genuinely try to pick the songs that we like. Yes. And sometimes it's to the detriment of whether it's the better roster of songs. Yes. So you have first pick, you're on the clock. All right, so I, in 2015, I was diagnosed with colon cancer and uh, they were, um, I, it, it was very quickly. I, I was very sick. I went into the emergency room. Uh, they said, we think you have a tumor. The next day, you, we definitely have a tumor. We think it's cancer. The following day, it is cancer. And so um, the hashtag we did was no retreat, no surrender. So if you push me, and you are, because it, No Surrender would be my favorite song on Born in the USA. We busted out of class, you know, and uh, we learned more in a three-record than we ever learned in school. Uh, no Retreat, No Surrender. It is a epic song. Um, I was in Houston a few years ago, one of the last tours, and there was the Flores Brothers. And this is your homework audience. Go type in Google, Houston, Texas, um, No Surrender, Bruce Springsteen. And two young guys, and one of them had a sign that said, I busted my brother out of class. Can we sing No Surrender with you? And Bruce pulled them up. And the definition of joy is watching those two young men sing with Bruce. They knew every verse. They knew every word. And when it was time to leave, they went and shook hands with every member of the band before they left the stage. So my pick, No Surrender. All right. 1-1, one, one, No Surrender. Great pick. I'd like to hear you guys' thoughts on No Surrender. So on my draft board, No Surrender is my number one. Ah, yes. We, that, that's inter- so for me, it's kind of down ballot. So it, it would have been on the on the lower portion of my, of, of my oh, draft board. I see classic Tony and Bill. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I'd love No Surrender. To me, that's just... It's by far my favorite song on this album, which, like you were saying, Jesse, you know, is kind of almost like a greatest hits album. But I just no surrender. It it makes me want to, you know, run through a wall. I love that song. So, I mean, the thing for me is down on this album is like I like every song on this album. There's not a song on this album I do not like. Uh, So I I agree with the this is kind of a greatest hits album. So, you know, I, I, I would put it on, you know the lower portion but it doesn't you know it's still for me an all-time great bruce song and a a a great song yeah when dow young faces grow sad and old and hearts of fire grow cold we swore blood brothers against the wind and now i'm ready to grow young again there's just something beautiful about that Uh, you know uh, when we're off air off mic bill we have to explore more how that song is farther down because that's a terrible take (laughs) No, no, no. This is a judgment-free zone. Hey, hey, look, look. You and I just don't agree on a lot of stuff. That's the whole point. Yeah. That's that's why that's why you and I teaming up here. It's going to be just almost a train wreck of picks here. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be terrible. So, um, so for Team uh, Bill and Tony, I think I'm going to go Glory Days. I feel like that song is too. Um, too iconic but it's still positive it's you know it's you know it's it's positivity 
Um, but at least it's like nostalgic and stuff. And, and it's just a really good rock and roll song. So I'm going to go Glory Days. Good. Any thoughts on it, Bill? I, I love Glory Days. Um, I, I probably wouldn't have gone with it at, if, I, if it was me picking. Uh, but it's it was top three for me on the album. So I, I, I think it's a phenomenal song. Um, the, the thing that stands out for me in this song, and it's a pet peeve, and, and probably why I don't rate it higher, is Speedball. Like, dude, it's Fastball. Come on. Like, Bruce, you're an amazing artist, but I can throw that speedball by it. Like, bugs me every time I hear it. So, um, once again, take a drink. I'm promoting an episode. I had a sports writer who rewrote the lyrics to fix it so that it would be that. And he actually was on the podcast doing it. Um, I think there are the Bruce apologists have said that if you go back into old baseball, that it was that. That's a uh, stretch. Yeah, yeah, I do think it is. Yeah. Um, I absolutely, it would have been three on my board. Um, that's, I, where I, that's where I had it. Yeah. yeah. It is a song that I never get tired of hearing. I, I just, I, right. I love the joy in it. I remember seeing that video and they look like they are having so much fun. You know, little Steven with the mandolin, uh, Max twirling the drumsticks. I, you're like, I want to be in that party. And um, he wisely, there is a verse taken out that's about his father and, and he wisely took it out. It's available if you look for it somewhere. Do some deep dives. It, it works better without it. Um, Bruce has said the first verse definitely happened. The second verse probably could have happened. And the third verse will happen. And so, uh, yeah, great, great choice. You know, you, you mentioned something, you know, about the edit. And what I found... Uh, remarkable in, you know, just some of these deep dives into albums is how often you hear these stories about, you know, these other lyrics that end up getting cut and how way more often than not, those editorial choices are are the right ones. Yeah. uh, Another plug, not for me, but there is a writer, there's a guy, the guy created Babylon 5, J. Michael Stravinsky, just put out a book last year about being, becoming a writer, staying a writer, and it's all—it's a manual about writing. It, it is for people who want to be TV writers, book writers, whatever. And he does a whole episode, a whole chapter on editing, and he shows the process. He puts the whole and before he edited it, and has all the strike lines and everything to show you how editing is the key. And you hear that with filmmakers. You know, the second part of the movie is in the editing room. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree. All right. Number two, Bobby Jean. Uh, I, you know, this is the love letter to little Steven. Um, it is, I, I just love this song. Uh, I think it's sometimes the forgotten song on uh, Born in the USA. The, I, I the, the, the sentimentalness of it where, you know, where he's talking about one day um, I'll hear that song on the radio and I'll think of you. And it just is so beautiful. And a personal story. Um, I was in uh, Louisville, Kentucky for a show and he had done Shout, which was his closer at the time. And um, everyone, you know, left they're yay they're 
applauding, applauding, and everyone had lost the stage. And I watched Max Weinberg reach down and give somebody his drumsticks. And all of a sudden, Bruce walks out and picks up his tar and starts strumming. And you could see the band members, what, what? And they all came on stage and he did Bobby Jean. And so the feeling was like Christmas afternoon, Christmas night, where you go all of a sudden, oh, wait, there was a present we missed underneath here. We mm-hmm. Christmas is not over. We have one more present to open. And having him do Bobby Jean after we thought it was over was just a great moment. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I'm looking at my my uh, sheet here and Bobby Jean, I struggled with it because it started out higher on my list and then like I crossed it off and then moved it down, crossed it off. So like that whole struggle again with songs that I like versus, you know, the ones that, you know, might be more uh, suitable for the draft. So uh, I'm a fan of Bobby Jean too. Yeah. So love the song. Um, I I had it again down a little bit, a a little bit lower. Um, So back, back half. One of the things I wanted to ask both of you about is the last lyric. I, I know there's, you know, some talk that it was, you know, alluding to little Stephen leaving the East Street Band. I mean, I, do you get that when you hear it? I do now. Um, originally, no. You know, it was about a girlfriend. And, you know, and it's kind of confusing because we wear the same clothes. Wait a minute. But uh, when you when you think that the the heavy rumor is that this is about Stephen leaving and maybe you'll be out there on that road somewhere, some bus or train that's traveling along in some motel room, there'll be a radio playing and you'll hear me sing this song. Well, if you do, you know, I'm thinking of you and all the miles in between. And I'm just calling one last time, not to change your mind, but just to say, I miss you, baby. Good luck. Goodbye. Bobby Jean. I'm not trying to change your mind. I understand you need to go make your own music, but I love you. And like all great songs, it's a beautiful last line. It really, it really is. Yeah. You, and you leave it so it could be about, uh, you know, someone you love a, a, you know, a, a, an ex companion, an ex partner, an ex spouse, significant other, but it also could be this bandmate. That's a great uh, observation too, just about, you know, really good songs that, can be interpreted uh, multiple ways, even by the same person. The person who wrote it, you know, can say, oh, wow, you know what? It has a totally different meaning now for me who wrote the song. So you may want to cut this out, but two stories that I think are appropriate. One, I tell this all the time, uh, Isaac Asimov, the famous science fiction writer, is doing a lecture and he's talking about a story and he's explaining what the story means. And someone shoots up their hand and, and says, Dr. Asimov, you're wrong. That isn't what... And Asimov goes, you know, he was a smart aleck anyway. He said, I wrote this story. Of course I know what it's about. And the, the audience member says, just because you wrote this story, what makes you think you know what it's about? Mm-hmm. And in his book, Asimov said, I think you're right. And I will never assume, again, I know what I meant the story to not. The other story is, and since we're all John Hyatt fans, he was on Treme, and he was doing Feel Like Rain. And there is a a scene where Steve Earle is playing a character. He's talking to a young female violinist, and she's listening to the song. That's so much about Katrina. I can live here and feel that. And Steve Earle's character says that was written 10 years. The beauty of a great song is it can mean multiple things. So, so, so true. 
All right, I guess I get to make my first pick. Yay! All right. Um, I, I'm going to have to pick the, the stadium anthem, uh, Born in the USA, uh, at, at uh, our, our second pick here, Tone. Um, I, it's just an incredibly powerful song. It, it resonates on so many levels. And I, you know, Jesse, as you said before, I think it's an incredibly patriotic song. I agree with that sentiment 100%. I know at the time, you know, it was 84, the election, Mondale, Reagan, and, and they read into it as, you know, born in the USA, you know, and they tried to, you know, appropriate it for their own political purposes. But that wasn't the message Bruce was singing with the song. Uh, but it, it is an incredibly powerful song. And I, I, I can't not pick it here. And Bill, if I'll interject and just say that uh, I think that you're being a little too generous to suggest that they read into it because even if you glanced at it for a second, you'd realize um, what the song was about. They just looked at the title. They just looked at the title. Yeah, they just look at the chorus, and um, and it's things haven't changed. When uh, President Trump was in the hospital with uh, you know COVID, they were outside his hotel playing "Born in the USA," and you know a lot of my listeners on Twitter go. I don't think they know what that song means. Um, so uh, once again, I am not a fan of the blues version of Born in the USA. I just don't think it works. And I wasn't happy with it at all. And so I was lucky enough to get a ticket to see Bruce on Broadway. And it's available on Netflix. And if you have not watched it, I urge everyone to watch it, whether you're a Springsteen fan or not. Um, and he tells the story about going to get uh, drafted, to get his draft status. And he ended up not being selected. And his father had all his time, you know, he shares his father is his, his greatest foe and his greatest idol. And his father kept saying, wait till the army gets you, wait till the army gets you. And he comes back and he tells them he wasn't drafted. And his dad said, that's good. That's good. And Bruce takes his guitar and he says, and I'm really glad that, and he names some of his friends who didn't go, but then he names the friends who did go that died. And he says, I wonder who went in my place. And he plays the blues version of born in the USA. And then I went, I'm an idiot. This is the greatest <laughs> version of this song ever. <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> Context is everything, right? Yeah, context is everything. Um, all right, I gave uh, any other thoughts on Born in the USA. Oh, I'll just say that yeah. I'm. I'll just say that I'm with you. So I, I appreciate it, but it was down ballot for me. Okay. So I, um, I, I thought hard and heavy about this uh, because there's still a lot of great songs left. Um, so I'm gonna go a fun one. I'm doing working on the highway. Oh, I love that song. I wanted that song. Oh, you're killing me. Oh. Uh, yeah. Um, the reason why is one, I, I think it's just a great song. It, it, just, it is a phenomenal song. Yeah. It's so underappreciated in my mind. Like, yeah. I, yes. And the other reason why is I love him doing it live. Um, over the past years, he, they start doing the instrumental and he will take a drink of water and he will spit water out at the end uh, right I before he that. kicks yeah. the song. So um, 
it, just working on the highway is um, it's it's a story song. Uh, I don't know if it has a lot of deeper meaning, but it is just it is just hilarious, and it I I just think it it is you know you you get the whole story about you screwing up and trying to get away. And, uh, you know, son, can't you see that she's just a little girl? You know nothing about this cruel, cruel world. And once again, you know, the judge throws it to the man. And so, yeah, I'm going to pick working on the highway. Well, And it, it really rocks in a, in a yes. rockabilly type way. It's oh. just such an um, amazing. Kind of a traditional, you know, folk American music yes. style. Oh, absolutely. Great. Yeah, I, I was really like hoping it made it back to my next pick maybe like unrealistically so but uh mm-hmm. don't any, anything you want to add on the song no all right you're up all right so i'm up boy another struggle this now this is a classic struggle for me because i've got them ranked i've got three and four on my board four is the song that i like better and so i'm gonna be true to myself and not do what i'm supposed to do and i'm gonna pick darlington county so first off, I love that they are next to each other because they do feel like sister songs. So I think that is a great choice. I, I, I absolutely love that. Me and Wayne, we're big, you know, just this whole arrogance of them. Uh, just, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I love Darlington County. Great song. Yeah. Again, uh, you know, very country feel to it. Awesome, awesome song. Yeah. Yeah, it just great. All right, so I'm gonna go uh, next. I'm gonna go um, dancing in the dark. Oh, you! <laughs> one one of the best pop songs of all time. Like just it, a phenomenal, it, it is. phenomenal it song. Is. Yes, and you know the the rumor is the story, and you know um, one of my favorite John Ford movies is the man who shot Liberty Valance, and one of the last lines is. Um, you know, sometimes you have to just print the legend. Um, John Landau said, you don't have a single, you need a single. And he comes back with dancing in the dark. Um, dancing in the dark gets a bad rap because Bruce brings someone on stage and, you know, there's diehard fans. They're like, oh, I wish to do that. Not as much hate as waiting on a sunny day they get, but they do, and, you know, and there's people with their signs. I want to dance with Bruce. I want to dance with Susie. But if you, if you take away all the pop, you take away all the glitter and just, and it is one of his most covered songs. I think a song later on this list will beat that as far as most cover, but you hear all kinds of people dancing in the dark. They do it slow. They do it really. A lot of very cool versions of it. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. And just, there is a beauty to that. I'm, I don't like anything about myself. I want to change my hair, my clothes, my face. And, uh, so I, I love it. And, um, I, I've only, you know, I hear it almost every show, um, and I always think that Jake is saying, uh, "Bruce, can you pick up someone a little quicker because I'm tired of doing the sax solo." <laughs> so, so Tony, Jesse's sniping me every single pick here. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me on 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 Dancing in the Dark, Jesse hit on something that's exactly my my problem with it, and not that it was far down on my list either, but. It's the fact that there's so many 
great covers of it. And frankly, I think that there's a lot of a lot of those covers. A lot of those covers are better than at least the Born in the USA version. And that's what uh, I struggled with 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 this song. I do appreciate it for what it is, but if if I can find half a dozen versions I like better than this one, I don't know how I can pick it that high. But it it, it is such an amazing pop song. I mean, again, again. T- Put it put it in context of the year of when it was written, when it came out, all of the other pop songs that were going on at that that time. I, I can I can argue it was probably the best pop song of 1984, and it didn't get as much credit as as it deserved. Like it, it's it's an I think it's an underrated song. And and it's his only it's number two it reached number two. Uh, Prince did stop him from being number one. Um, another story that. Um, I leak it had leaked that he was doing it on uh, Broadway. And I, you know, once again, you know, I should second guess Bruce, but I was thinking, eh, why is he doing dancing in the dark? I mean, I just don't know. Why, why does that, I mean, I guess it's his biggest pop hit, I, but eh, it seems out of place. And then if you've seen the show, um, he talks about how his mother who is fighting Alzheimer's loves to dance. And then he talks about the current political situation and how bad things are and how we've got to have hope. And then he says, and so what you have to do is do like my mother, putting on your dancing shoes and keep believing. And he starts dancing in the dark and then he fades into land of hope and dream. And I'm crying and I'm going once again, I'm, I'm just stupid. Why am I second guessing the boss? <sighs> you're leaving me with a tough pick here, Jesse, because you, you, you're sniping me. Um, I'm going down uh, is where I'm going uh, with, okay. my, with my next pick. Really? Yeah. Um, again, I, I think it is an, an underrated song on this album. Um, it, yes, a little repetitive, uh, but I, I think, I love the song and I, I think it's underrated. Okay. Nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it was lower on my list. It is not one of my favorite songs, uh, but it is certainly, as you said, there is, I think too many people forget um, the beauty of this album. It is a gateway album for a lot of Springsteen fans. Uh, it continues to be, you can put that on and hear all the hits um so yeah great choice absolutely great choice. it's also a darker song i mean when when you really just listen to the lyrics it's a dark song i mean yeah it's it's kind of rockabilly type but it's it's got a dark undertone to it yeah so uh guest prerogative do we want to switch and let you guys take another pick right away that way you guys you know we'll go okay okay I'm Thank throwing you. it that's, out that's there. Very, though. Uh, generous very, very, of you. Very but generous. Nope. But, yeah. Okay. That's how we play. Okay. Uh, so I am going to go my hometown. Um, it is. It is a. It was the last single on the album. Um, it is his love letter to people being stuck in a small town, but the allure of it is too hard for them to go away. Um, I, I did, I was, I, I, my wife and I were both living in Lake Charles, Louisiana, where the, 
the oil and gas uh, economy in the early 80s was horrible. So we moved to Dallas uh, and we saw that there were people that, you know, would not take another job because the plant used to pay 25 bucks an hour. And now then I'm not taking a job if, if I can't make 25 bucks an hour. And yeah, but that, as the foreman says, these jobs are going and they're not coming back. So it it is a song that I I don't play all the time. <laughs> like if I'm if I'm going through a mixed list, it it is, but um, it is one of my son's favorite um, Springsteen songs. And after he's had a few alcoholic beverages, he will put a live version on that, and uh, will feel very sentimental. So I'm gonna pick my hometown. That that was my other consideration for for my last pick. Um, yeah, I, I love that song. Um, yeah. Again, kind of, you know, a, a melancholy, you know, powerful song. Yeah. And that image, right, of I think many of us, before we worried about safety, your father would put you in his lap while he's driving so you could drive, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, you know, now then, heaven, heaven forbid, oh my God, you know, but <laughs> back, yeah, that big old Buick. So, yeah. Yeah. That's the beauty of that song, too, is just how visual it is. Yes. Oh boy. Gosh. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm I'm struggling here. I'm going to go I'm on fire. I'm not sure that I've got this one right, but that's that's where I went. What do you guys think of I'm on fire? I I, I really like the song. I love the the percussion uh you know component of the song. The driving beat to it. Um I, I it's slow and burning and I'm on fire. Like it 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 it's sound it, sonically it kind of plays like the lyrics Mm -hmm. yeah uh once again a great video um it is um i had a guy on the podcast that specializes in 80s and 90s videos and he would make the argument that's bruce's best video i would give glory days to it but i understand what he's saying um so here's my fact that is not scientific but um you had asked earlier, are there trends, right? Well, if you have your five bucks in your hand and you walk up to a someone at a bar, either a singer-songwriter or a guitarist or someone or a band, and you throw five bucks in the tip jar and say, can you do a Bruce Springsteen? 50% of the time, they are going to do I'm on fire. <laughs> It is a good song. It is an easy song to do. Uh, and in fact, I am shocked when someone says, oh, Atlantic City is my favorite song. Do you mind that? Or well, I can do tougher than the rest. But most of them will say I'm on fire. So um, you have the uncomfortable, hey, little girl, is your daddy home? Which has not aged very well. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> but not, we're, yeah. we're going to forgive that that was in the middle 80s and he does not literally mean that but it is once you hear that and in that context it is hard to listen that song without that going in your image hey little girl so yeah gosh you know i've never listened to it that way i've run it for you now haven't i (laughs) i want to change my pick now (laughs) nice all right, All right Jesse. next. Okay, uh, my 
my brother's favorite song is Downbound Train. So I'm going to pick that. Um, you know, I had a girl, I had a life, and now then everything's gone. And I work in a car wash. What does is, is that a great image of, and at first I think, oh, yeah, it's always wet. So that's why he's saying it's rain. And I go, no, he's saying I'm at the car wash and all it does is rain. So I can't work. I can't make any money. Uh, my life oh, is wow. totally lost. Um, so um, it, it is it is a it is a downer song. Uh, but once again, he's 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 making that picture. He's talking about that story. And so that would be my final pick. All right. So that that lets me take it home. And I'm, I'm going to say I'm shocked to, to get Cover Me as the very last pick on the album. Um I, I love this song. It was I, higher I, on your board? It was higher on my board. It was right kind of middle of the pack for me on, on my board. Um, so I'm kind of shocked to get it as the very last pick on the album. Um, I, I, I love some of the guitar solos on, on this song. And you know what, one interesting fact, which I didn't know until I did a little research, I didn't know he wrote this song not for himself. So he wrote this song for Donna Summer, which is just kind of crazy when you think about it. Hmm. And like, you know, the, the, the more I thought about it, I guess I could hear her singing it. Um, but it's, it's, that's just kind of an interesting visual, yeah. like her, uh, her performing it. So little, when they put out the promise, which was a box set of a lot of, um, unreleased material he did, um, in the interview, little Steven said, if Bruce had wanted to do the Brill building career, of write nothing but pop songs. He could have been one of the best pop song writers in the world. In fact, little Steven would say, really, you're giving this one away to fire by the pointer sisters. You know, um, he, he, you know, he, he had this gift and yes, cover me. And I can hear Donna summer doing it and it would be, it would have been great. So yeah, he, uh, he took it for himself. So there we go. Yeah. So cover me. I, this is where like, I just, sometimes I get lost in the sauce or something when I'm looking at my board, you know, what was number three on my board cover me. Wow. And I, I passed it like four times. I, I had it as number six on my board. Yeah. So, so I had it higher on my board and I didn't pick it. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a great song. Yes. A very solid album. Um, I know there's the synthesizers and the 80 feels, but it's the same thing. I feel that when you watch a movie from the 40s or the 50s or 70s, you have to just accept the fact that it's, it's a thing of the times, yet it can still be universal. I remember a couple of years ago, I watched the original The Day the Earth Stood Still, and I went, my goodness, this still holds up. This is an amazing move. And I think if you can get past that, it sold bajillions of albums. It made, you know, you've got Bruce and the red handband and the no sleeves and um, pruning on We Are the World. It, it's a great album. Yeah. And I think the you're, you're right about the, the synth and the 80s of it. And the key is that they didn't go too much into it. You know, sometimes that's where people, I feel like... Um, artists run into trouble when they too all in on a trend and then it doesn't uh, have that lasting, that timeliness. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 actually, I really feel like this album aged pretty well. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, again, listening to it again, 
just right before the show and and several times in the past week uh i I feel like it aged really well and you know you know to to both of your points i think that there are definitely things that you can hear that were of the time uh but it it wasn't hammered with it to the point where it's like oh it's just it's just this it's not distracting yeah exactly it wasn't distracting agreed all right, so let's just do a quick summary tone. Um, I'll, I'll uh, Je- Jesse. I'm not sure if you wrote down all of your picks. I'm happy to share them if you didn't. I did. All right. In well, fact, why, why, don't you, why don't you share them yourself yeah. then? Yeah. So, downbound train, no surrender. Bobby Jean working on the highway, dancing in the dark, my hometown. All right, and tone. Yes. What what did we get? So we got Glory Days, Cover Me, Darlington County, I'm on Fire. I can't read my own handwriting. Born in the USA. <laughs> uh yeah born in the usa and going down and so, i think i think we're going down on this one so. <laughs> i don't know so you guys have glory days born in the usa um i'm on fire darlington County's pretty strong that's a pretty top four so and then i have no surrender bobby jean working on a highway dancing in the dark so yeah that's uh, it's that's, it's a pretty pretty good stack yeah. up yeah. I do think it is. Yeah, I think it's a real good stack up. Personally, I agree with Jesse. I'm looking at my top six, and we got four of my top six. We did as well as I would have expected, or I would have hoped. Yeah, and and by the way, I just want to start. I think this is a fun. This is a fun part of your. You guys have a great discussion, and it's always fun. But I think this is just really a cool way to kind of sum up what you guys have talked about, right? And so I, I'm really glad you invited me on this, and uh, this was fun. All right, so, so Jesse, we like to end the episode with final thoughts on the album. Um, and if you, yeah. if you uh, deign to join us in, with final thoughts, we'd love to have you kind of give some final thoughts on the album. I absolutely would. First off, um, you know, go in, pull this album, and listen to fresh ears. Um, you know, it, you've heard the hits so often, you might get that. I, I've overheard this. I've heard this way many times. But I think it's idea to put it in your player, put it in and listen to it and, and listen to think about what Bruce was going through and thinking about. Um, you know, he had just done Nebraska, which was a very dark album that depression. Um, and then this is he's trying to hit a home run and he's trying to be. And I think he did that. If you go to Tunnel of Love, he immediately back a lot of that made a lot for his personal album so i think that's an interesting and enjoy it i i think it is it is what i think and i'll another story and i i'm so glad we ended up not doing the 40 minute yeah. <laughs> i've, I've, I've screwed y'all guys i'm so sorry i feel guilty but um one of my favorite stories is i've that same show i'm in houston and uh, the show's over, and we're in, it's an outdoor venue. I'd gone to the, we're out, stars and everything, and I'm waiting for my wife to come out. And this very drunk lady is, is it over? But really? I see. yeah, he played almost three hours. It was a good show. But he didn't play Born in the USA. Well, he doesn't always play. But it's his biggest hit. Yeah, I know, but he doesn't always. So ever since then, if he plays Born in the USA, I go to Twitter and I go, mm-hmm. Born in the USA, and somewhere there is a drunk lady in Houston very happy. Don't <laughs> <laughs> so final well, thoughts? Bill, uh, yeah, my thoughts, I, I know I shared this on our fantasy baseball group chat, and I think I might have said it on our appearance on Jesse's show, but to me what you know makes this album so great is if you take off the first, you know, the top two huge hits, if you take off 
Dancing in the Dark, or even top three, take off Born in the USA, Dancing in the Dark, and Glory Days, you're left with a great album. You know, if you could take off three, like, all-time songs yep. and still have a great album, you've got a, you know, that just tells you that's how a, deep that's a special, and strong that's this album is. That's a special album, album I, if you can do that. Yeah, I completely I, agree. Yeah, that is, that's impressive when you think about that, right? That you could take three tent poles and still have a solid structure. So my, my final go. my final thoughts, uh, you know, J- Jesse, what you said really resonated with me. I think, you know, listening to it end to end, really a- appreciating the songs, taking taking those, and Tony, ag- agree with everything you said, taking those tent poles out, songs like Working on the Highway, like, oh my goodness, like, I didn't even remember that song very well. And I'm like, I- it's like, it's stuck in my head right now. Like, it- it- it's it's such an amazing album. You know, definitely, if you haven't listened to it recently, put it on your Spotify or on, on Amazon music or Apple music and, and, and give it a listen. It's, it's just a phenomenal album. And when I look at my rankings, so, so tone, I know we always, we go back to, you know, mm-hmm. share, share where I rank this. Cause you know, I'm, I'm a maniac when it comes to trying to rank these albums in, in my top uh, pantheon of albums. I rank this as my, my number 34 album of all time. I, I, I think it, you know, Rolling Stone ranks it, you know, in its last list at 142, it was higher. It was 86 in, tw- in 2012. It was 85 in 2003. Um, I-, I think it's very clearly a top 50 album. And, you know, I, I put it in top 40. Uh, yeah. I. By the way, it took everything I had not to. Oh, so and where's it going to be ranked, Bill? And I was like, no, no, no. That's Tony's line, Jesse. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it is, um, it, this Bruce Springsteen, um, fans will often put this lower on their list. And I think that's partly because of overplaying and Mm -hmm. this kind of, well, that's the every man's album. Um, you know, I'd rather go, I'm going to talk about, you know, uh, greetings or you know darkness because it is um this is a good album this is a great album and uh another i don't know if you guys have ever had a chance but there was the podcast where president obama and bruce had a discussion and they Mm -hmm. were talking and bruce picked up the guitar and started playing my hometown and he said pretty good song and obama goes no, that's a great song. <laughs> so. All right. Well, then I guess that wraps it up. Jesse, thank you for really just such a great time. And and besides having fun, you know, on your show and having fun today, really, you know, the lessons that we've learned from you, from listening to your show and, and talking with you, it's really appreciated. Well, I, I it means the world to me. I, I just love I'm you guys are welcome anytime back on the podcast with me. Anytime you want me to have you have me back on yours, I will just blatantly, you know, invite myself back to dinner. Like, yeah, I'd love this. This is a blast. Um, and you know, continued success. You guys are doing great on your podcast. And and you know, the important thing is your listeners can tell you're having fun. You are doing this out of a sense of joy and a love of music, and it comes through through the uh, headphones. And so, keep it up. Great job, but Jesse. We have to um, ask you to tell the people how they can find you. Yes. So I am at Twitter for now at Jesse Jackson DFW. Uh, Set Lusting Bruce is at Set Lusting Bruce. 
Um, I am I am on a lot of podcasts, much to my <laughs> wife's disdain. Um, Set Lessing Bruce usually comes out twice a week, uh, where I talk to music musicians and I talk to ma- music fans. I am brand new podcast, the perfectly good podcast, John Hyatt A to Z. We have just started that, where uh, me and the uh, Sylvian Groth, who was one of the first people who did a John Hyatt fanzine, we are going through every Hyatt song through A to Z. I do Next Stop Everywhere, which is a Doctor Who podcast. And then uh, I do a last best hope for conversation which is a babylon 5 podcast where we are i am a scene i am a experienced babylon 5 viewer and my two co-hosts have never seen the show and we're discussing Ah, that mm -hmm. so that's been a lot of fun and so um like i said setlessingbruce at gmail.com send me an email reach out me on twitter i want you to be on my show I, i i'm not i'm not kidding Right. You. Yeah. That you, that person who's sitting there shaking your head. No, he doesn't. Yes, I do. I believe every music fan has a story to share and it's my job to capture them as much as they can. Uh, it doesn't matter if you don't know of one song by Bruce. If you are passionate about a musician, I want to have you on the show. Great. So thanks, Jesse. And we'll definitely include some of those uh, links and stuff in our show notes too. Uh, folks, take Jesse up on his offer. He's just an absolute pleasure. I had a great time. And Jesse... This is always awesome to do. So, so so much fun today. Thanks, guys. All right, everybody. So thank you so much for listening to Bill and Tony's Excellent Adventure. Our next episode, you know what, Tony? We're really going to do all things must pass next time, right? We said we were last last episode, but we're really going to do it next time. And I'm so excited about this next episode because we're having really an incredible guest, Laura Cantrell, uh, who hosts the George Harrison Dark Horse radio show on the Beatles channel on Sirius XM is going to be our guest. And she's going to talk to us about George and really tell us some, you know, interesting stories and insights from working with the Harrison estate. And I just can't wait to have Laura join us to talk George on our pod. That's going to be so much fun. I can't wait either. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. We can't wait to uh, share our next episode with you and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you all soon. See you next week.